This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, cat lovers. This is Michelle Fern, your host on Catitude. My guest today, you have probably heard more than saw, but you've seen her. She is an actress. She is a cat lover. She is an animal rescue advocate. She is host of the true crime podcast called Small Town Dicks. Oh, I love that name. And she also hosts a cooking show called Oil and Water. And if I mention the next one, you'll know who she is. She is known as the iconic voice of Lisa Simpson. So think about who it is. I'll be right back after this break. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, everyone, did you guess? No, it's Yardley Smith. She has been the voice of Lisa Simpson for over 30 years, plus has done a whole bunch of stuff and a lot of stuff for animals, especially cats. Welcome, Yardley. Thank you so much. I am so pleased to be here. I'm so excited to have you on. Okay, I know you get asked this a billion times, but I'm sure people out there are like wondering, so I have to ask it too. How has it been being the voice of Lisa Simpson for so long? It's over, like they're going into the 32nd season, I think. Yes, and then also two years prior to that on the Tracy Ullman show when we were doing the little shorts. Mm-hmm. So I refer to it really as roughly 100 years. Um, <laughs> but honestly, it's been the best job in the whole world. It has been such a privilege to play a character like Lisa Simpson, who I would love and admire even if I didn't get to give her a voice. I just think that she's one of the most interesting, funny, complicated, inspiring, aspirational wonderful, really fully fleshed out little characters on the the small screen, but really any medium. Um, I just am a huge fan of hers. And I really do think of her as though she lives and breathes like you and me, Michelle, like she's a living, breathing, three-dimensional, red-blooded little girl. And I just adore her. Well, I think the world of her. And I've also seen you on the screen. I know you've done some acting as well, although mostly known for the voice of Lisa Simpson. I have a question I've been wondering, and it's, I don't know if it's too far out there, but do you ever like break into Lisa Simpson voice out of the blue? Like if you're on the phone (laughs) with a doctor or if you're talking to someone, I don't know, and they, maybe they don't recognize you or whatever, and you just break into Lisa Simpson voice? No, no, not, not sort of unprompted. Once in a while, if I'm Oftentimes, actually, it's usually parents who like, oh, my God, you're Lisa Simpson. Will you do the voice for my child? And depending on the age of the child, like if the kid is really young, I would say sort of six or seven and under. When I do the voice of Lisa Simpson, when I do that, say, you know, hey, Johnny, it's Lisa Simpson. They look at me like, I don't know what you're doing, but you are not Lisa Simpson. I know what Lisa Simpson looks like, and it ain't like you. So it's sort of 
I think the parents are delighted, but the child is just like, what the heck is happening? <laughs> and also, though, once people find out I do the voice of Lisa Simpson again, if they're, you know, fans of the show, then they're like, oh, my God, would you do the voice? And so uh, I'll usually in comparison, I'll say, this is me. This is Lisa Simpson. And that's usually enough. I, I do get requests for, will you leave my outgoing message or, you know, send a record a message for my person at home. And I usually sort of shy away from that mostly just because I'm not great at improvising as Lisa Simpson. And I, I just want to manage their expectations, but yeah, in terms of spontaneous combustion into the character, not, not so much. <laughs> I think that would freak people out sometimes, you know, it would be a little weird. I think it would yeah, be a little you know, bit like a sudden. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I might ask you a little Lisa Simpson thing at the end for our cat of two people, but we'll talk about that later. Let's talk about, and thank you so much for answering those questions. Let's talk about your cats. And I know you do a lot of work for animal rescue, you know, big animal rescue advocate, especially with cats. You're two cats, Zipper and Petunia. Yes. What kind of cats are they? They're just, you know, plain old domestic short hairs. They're um, mutts, as I would say, I, I rescued them indeed. They're 13 and a half now and they were rescued together, but they're not actually biological sisters. But when I was, I was actually had split up from my second husband at the time. And the one cat we had left stayed with my ex-husband. So, but I would still, while we were working out the divorce, I would still go back to the house and visit the cat. Her name was Betsy. And I would bring her treats and toys and things like that. So one day I was at the pet store and they were having an adoption day. And I was so smitten by, Zipper was the one who was really aggressively trying to recruit me reaching through the bars of her little cage. And Petunia was sort of tucked it back in the corner of the cage. And I was like, oh, no, I can't. I just can't get, I can't get more animals. My life is in flux. I'm, you know, things are kind of nuts now. And, but then I couldn't stop thinking about them. And two weeks later, that same cat adoption agency was at that pet store again and um, Zipper and Petunia were still there. And I was like, okay, I have to have, it's like a sign. have to take you home. <laughs> yes, it is a sign. And uh, they used to, they got on so beautifully as kittens. They used to sleep together in a little pile of fur. You know, it was the cutest thing. And now um, I wouldn't say there's active hostility, but they're not as friendly with each other. And I've subsequently read that that can happen not infrequently with female cats, which is kind of heartbreaking because I really want them to still sleep together in a pile. But as long as they don't fight, you know, sort of go after each other like itchy and scratchy on The Simpsons, then, I, you know, you got to let nature do its thing. Yeah. Have you ever had any success with teaching them anything? Like I tried, I have Dennis and he's my most, like he's part Maine Coon. So he's like a dog. <gasps> I call wow. him. I tried to teach him to walk on a leash. Uh -huh. Yeah. It lasted like 10 minutes and then. Yeah. He didn't like yeah, it. I did. I tried all that. So I tried to teach them to go to the bathroom in the toilet when they were kittens. And, you know, when the sort of most common way, at least that I at the time, maybe still is, you have that it's a it's a plastic thing, sort of seat, basically, that sits on top of the toilet seat when the 
when the lid of the toilet is up, obviously. So it sits on top and then it has concentric circles, which as the cats get used to balancing on this kind of platform, you pop out the circles, right? Which are probably, I don't know, maybe two inches wide each. And things were going great. Zipper was totally getting the hang of it. She was like, all right, I'm good. I can do it. Petunia was much less convinced. And then one day we were on our second to last circle and I came home and there was cat poo in the bathtub. Oh, yeah. And I, and it was Petunia. And I was like, okay, all right, I get it. She's, and I just felt like she was saying to me, I'm a cat. I am not a monkey. I will not go to the bathroom in the <laughs> toilet. What's wrong with you? So that didn't work. I did try to get them to walk on a leash. When I put the harness and the leash on Zipper as a kitten, she fell over on her side and then just refused to move. <laughs> and I was like, and I had it was living in an apartment at the time. And it was wall-to-wall carpeting. So I sort of dragged her around the carpet for a little while, hoping maybe she would just go like, okay, I'll get up. Didn't happen. Absolutely not. Tried that a few times. Then I was like, okay, all right, no leash. What if I put you in a stroller? You know, they have animal strollers. Sarah has a little zip net so they can see out. They get plenty of fresh air. Um, and also they stay confined so they don't leap out into traffic. So I put them in the stroller. <laughs> I'm leaving the apartment. I'm headed to the elevators. There is such howling oh, from both of them that people literally popped their heads out of their apartments as I was going down the hall. Like, is everything all right? I was like, never mind. All right. So... <laughs> I've had no success teaching them anything domestic like that. Nothing. I saw a picture of the cat gym that you built. How did they like that? They really loved it for about a year. I wonder even if that long. They loved all the different levels. Petunia will still sleep. So if you look at the pictures of the cat gym, just for your listeners, it it actually, it's in the stairwell. The staircase is quite wide. It's not like, you know, chateau wide, but it's pretty wide. So this cat gym is built in the stairwell and it has a little tunnel in it where they can peek out of little holes on the side of the tunnel. Then it has all these different levels and it has a couple of trays at the very top of the cat gym at different levels that have carpet in them so that the cats could go on into the tray basically and lay down and take a nap. So Petunia is actually a little, she's sort of outsized the tray a bit, but she's undaunted and still sleeps in the, in the tippy top tray quite often. But otherwise, they're like, yeah, no. Mm -mm." And what I find is all that money we all spend on cat toys, honestly, they would so much rather have a bottle, you know, the top to a a bottle of water. Zipper's favorite thing is a crumpled up post-it to play soccer. Um, Plastic bags on the floor. like Plastic bags, paper bags, boxes, as we all know. Yep, empty boxes. (laughs) I have another show where it's product-oriented, so I'm always getting products open it up and yeah. if there's food, they want the box. <laughs> they want sure. The, they sure. The box so they can play in the box. 
it's so we so very much want them to play with the toy that uh, looks like a fishing rod or you know they've had the ball that's in the circle you know that looks like a donut and it has the top of it is open so the ball can they can push the ball around but they can't get the ball out yeah they were just like yeah all right mm-hmm. what else what else you got, lady? <laughs> right, they get so they get bored with everything. Yes, except for the most mundane, you know. I know. Post it, and I and anything. I find too. I think I think one of the appeals of soccer for Zipper, for instance, is it's interactive. So she'll swat it. She's she's got a good left hook, but then she's like, okay, now you swat it, Yardley. You do it. So. She's not really a, a self-starter in that regard where she'll do it all herself and I get to watch. She's like, no, no, you're part of the game. So <laughs> you can't sort of be like, oh, I'll just answer my email and glance over and give you praise every night. Like, no, mm-mm, I expect you to participate also. That they do. I know you've done a lot of work with animal support and all of that. Share a little bit about with us. Sure. I... You know, I've mostly, um, you know, always provide my forward-facing support in terms of like as being a celebrity in support of these organizations, but uh, best friends, I've been supporting them for a really long time. The ASPCA, I always uh, I give annually to that. I recently discovered another great organization called Cuddly, which is online. And it's sort of like a hub for shelters that they can be members of this sort of like Cuddly is the catch-all for these shelters. And then they can post, the individual shelters can post things about animals in need, animals that have been rescued that need medical care, stuff like that. So I'm a monthly supporter of Cuddly. I just, you know, animals are so, every time I see an animal, and while I'm, I think I have a sort of a greater affinity for cats, but only mostly because I was afraid of dogs. I was such a small kid growing up that if a dog was big enough, it could jump on me. I'd be like, oh no, I'm going to lose this battle. (laughs) But I love dogs. Like, I just love animals. I love them so much. I remember going to Australia many years ago on a Simpsons publicity tour And I went to a wildlife sanctuary and I got to pet a tiger, like a huge tiger, which was incredible. And of course, I just wanted to hug the tiger. And they're like, they were actually way more cautious and said, Yardley, don't even speak because you sound like a child. And we don't want the tiger to be too interested and think that you might be an hors d'oeuvre. Oh my gosh. Okay. Right. But I didn't care. I still wanted to hug the tiger. <laughs> oh my gosh. We're going to take a short break and then we're going to talk about some of your other ventures that you've been doing. So we'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. 
Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. This is Lisa Simpson. How are you? You are listening to Catitude on Pet Life Radio. Thanks so much for being here. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Yardley Smith. She is the voice of Lisa Simpson, among many other things. And also, and this was, I know, a long time ago, but congrats because you've also won an Emmy for your voice work on Lisa Simpson. I did. I was. It was a great privilege to win one of the very first Emmys given to voiceover. Voiceover hadn't been an Emmy-eligible category prior to 1992, but with the with the Simpsons popularity, we went to half-hour episodes at Christmas 1989, and then we did 13 episodes as what we call a mid-season replacement on television from January 1990 until the end of the traditional television season, which is about May. And um, I think because of the popularity of our show and, and other animated shows going, oh my goodness, you can have an animated show on in primetime, which hadn't been done since the Flintstones prior to The Simpsons breaking through. So the Academy of Television, Arts and Sciences said, okay, we'll make voiceover an Emmy eligible category. But at that time, and for the first, I want to say at least eight years, possibly a bit longer. It was what we called a juried award, which meant that it wasn't voted on by the whole body of performers who are members of the Television Academy. It was voted on by a panel of like seven or nine people. And you could have more than one winner. And uh, so at that time, six Emmys were given in 92. Uh, one for me, Nancy Cartwright, who does Bart, Dan Castellaneta, who does Homer, and Julie Kavner, who does Marge. Also one for the wonderful Marsha Wallace, uh, who's no longer with us, who played Bart's teacher, Mrs. Krabappel, and one for Jackie Mason, who actually died a couple of days ago, um, who played Krusty's dad. So it was amazing. I mean, what a it was a, a great milestone in my career, and it was honored to be one of the first ones given such great recognition, you know. A great honor, well-deserved. And I want to talk about your other things, but I wanted to ask you this. And it's a little, not, it's kind of in context, sort of, but I, what do you think Lisa would have as far, I know she's had cats on The Simpsons over the years. What do you think if she could do anything, you know, with any animals, you know, maybe have 40 cats or 20 cats, what do you think (laughs) she would do? I think she would be on the global stage trying to save endangered species. Maybe she would get to, I've always wanted, I would feel like the two things I would do if I wasn't an actor is one, I would have loved to have been a professional ballroom dancer. But if I couldn't do that, I would have loved to have gone to Africa and worked in one of the great wildlife parks and helped save and protect lions and tigers and elephants and all the animals that are in danger, whether they're on the actual endangered list or just being illegally poached, that would have been incredibly meaningful work. I feel like Lisa Simpson would have done 
some she would do something similar if she ever got older than eight, actually. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay, let's talk about you do a lot a lot of things, but you're recently you have co-host and star in a true crime podcast called Small Town Dicks. How did that start? So it's a great story, actually. I went to a so I, I went to a Simpsons event out of uh, that wasn't in California, that was in another state. And uh, I wasn't actually supposed to be the person to go. It was supposed to be our showrunner, a guy named Al Jean. And he couldn't go at the last minute. So they said to me, Yardley, will you go and do this unveiling of this mural on the side of a building? And I said, uh, okay, uh, sure. And it was a small town. And I was like, what kind of security do you have? I'm just, you know, just curious. I always think now about Monica Seles being stabbed in the shoulder plate when she was in her home environment, basically on the tennis court. So I was like, er, I don't know. True crime has done that to me, I think now. <laughs> but anyway, so I go and they said, okay, we're going to assign you a plainclothes detective. That plainclothes detective was one of my now co-hosts on the True Crime podcast. He was Detective Dan. He has an identical twin brother who is also a detective, actually now a patrol sergeant named Detective Dave. So I co-host Small Town Dicks with Detectives Dan and Dave. And all of the stories are told by the detectives who investigated the case that we're covering. So my role on the podcast is I'm you, basically. If you had the privilege to sit at that table across from these men and women who investigated these cases and felt free to ask any question that you wanted, whether it's a clarifying question or a question like, I know this is probably really dumb, or just you were sitting across the table from them and could ask them anything, that's me. That's what I do. So I'm the layperson who interjects with things about just stuff that they probably take for granted because they've all been immersed in law enforcement for so long. So it's a fantastic, it's a very reverent podcast. We change all the names of the victims as well as the suspects, actually. And we don't give you the last names of our detectives, except on a few occasions, mostly really to protect the victims and to not further traumatize them. So in, so in that regard, we also don't tell you where the crime took place. But what's interesting is you think at first, like, well, shoot, does that mean that you don't get the full picture of the investigation? But in fact, that's not true. What you learn is how all the dominoes need to line up perfectly in order for justice to be served and how much incredible attention to detail needs to be undertaken in order for these cases to be resolved and victims to get some closure if they weren't, in fact, the victim of a homicide. That is so interesting. And this just, you just decided to do this based on meeting with them? Or did you have an, you know, a strong uh, affinity for true crime prior to this? I think I was, was really interested in true crime. I, you know, one of my theories is the true crime audience is usually made up of mostly women. It's mostly female. And I think it's because we're also often the victims. And there's a kind of a, a little bit of a there, but for the grace of God, go I. But in fact, after I met Detective Dan, um, even though we didn't live in the same state, we started dating. But now we've, it's been seven years and we're actually going to, uh, we're engaged. We're, we'll get married next summer. 
Uh, congratulations. Thank you. So when I used to go visit Dan, when we were still dating before we he moved to California, his brother would come over, you know, on just on a Friday and we would all have dinner. And then Dan and Dave would just download their day, their week, their whatever, whatever investigation was going on. It was absolutely fascinating. And I was just the fly on a wall. So when the idea of a podcast came up, it was obvious that these stories should be told from the source, as opposed to, even though I was the voice of Lisa Simpson, and maybe we could get some traction that way, as opposed to them telling me the story, and then me rehashing it for the audience, I was like, no, no, you guys tell the story. And then I and in the first three seasons, I had a co-host as well. We'll sit, sit across the table from you and ask you things that we don't understand or we don't know or um, that we think need to be clarified. So that was how that all came about. We just wrapped uh, season eight. We, we do about two seasons a year. Come this September, we'll be four years old. Uh, but we're really doing incredibly well. We have almost 30 million downloads, which is a big deal for a podcast that isn't owned by a big company, you know, that doesn't have That's the benefit huge. of, of huge. huge muscle behind them. So we're pretty uh, proud of ourselves. We're a small but mighty team. <laughs> that is huge. Well, I haven't listened to any, but I plan to. I like downloading podcasts on thumb drives and listening while I drive. Oh, yeah, that's a great because, idea. Because... Los Angeles has good talk radio, not where I am. There's no good radio where I am at all. It's all terrible. Where are you? South Florida. There's oh. not much. <laughs> There's not much. Sure. There's not much culture. <laughs> There's not much. There's a lot of sun. A lot of sun, yes. <laughs> well, I think you'll, um, you know, one of the things that I'm always fascinated by with these detectives, male or female, is I always want to know. If you are the person who has decided to go into law enforcement, and that means that every time you leave your house, you're more or less going to encounter humanity on its worst day, where do you put those experiences when you go home and see your husband or wife, children, partner? How do you be a friend? Like, how do you take off the law enforcement hat and now become basically a civilian on your off time and they all say, well, you know, we sort of, we put those experiences in a box. And then if you wait, you'll, they'll also say the problem is the lock on the box isn't that good. Okay. I want to ask you about your cooking show. My producer keeps waving his hand. Oh, stuff. oh he said there's no good oh. radio. I mean, on the radio stations, digitally, we rock. We have everything about pets. Sure. That's where he was. But let's talk about your cooking show real fast. I found it so funny. And I watched your cooking show called Oil and Water. And I watched, like I told you, the refrigerator episode, which I thought was so funny. And you're so right. It is. It's like, you know, those, those magazines where you look in everybody's handbag. Right, right. <laughs> and then you make things, you cook things. I like the idea. You know what? Instead of me reiterating, tell us about the cooking, your cooking show, Oil and Water. Sure. So it was, you know, we're all home during the pandemic, sort of under all quarantining or just work from home. And so I really wanted to do something that was fun and funny and I'm a good cook. And so I came up with this idea. I actually was born out of, I made a recipe that was part of a Simpsons episode where Homer makes Bart porkified fish nuggets. We were basically, he took a bunch of pork and some fish and he smushed them together and then he made them into like little chicken nugget 
sort of things. And so I made those (laughs) and they actually weren't terrible. They were actually not terrible, which was incredible. Like such, I was floored. But then out of that was born this idea that wouldn't it be funny to do a show that you could put up on Instagram or YouTube where you took two ingredients that didn't belong together and combined them together into a thing. So into a cake, an ice cream, a soup, a, a pandowdy, a quiche, whatever it is. And all of the elements had to be randomly drawn. So have a bowl of sweet ingredients, a bowl of savory ingredients, and a bowl of things, which are the cake, brownie, you know, ice cream, whatever. And um, so me and my one of my colleagues at my production company called Paperclip Limited decided we would just shoot it in my kitchen and put it up on Instagram and YouTube. And each episode is about anywhere from, I don't know, about eight minutes long. And it's really funny. And it's sort of less about cooking and more about the game. And then I have to taste everything that I make. So, and some things have been real surprises, like, hey, that's pretty good. And some things have been the worst thing you've ever eaten in your life. So (laughs) what was the best and what was the worst? One of the best was I made, um, it was a fool, which is basically a pudding. And I, it was, it was lemon. I made a lemon pudding fool with cherry tomatoes and what was the other ingredient? It was like cookies. And what was fantastic about it was the cherry tomatoes cut through the richness of this lemon, very creamy, very rich lemon custard. And I added basil as what I always get a Hail Mary, which is one ingredient, spice, something to try and bridge the gap between these two disparate ingredients. I added basil that went with the lemon and the tomatoes and with, I think it was cupcakes. It was a strawberry cupcake. It was like, wow. Okay. Listen to me. Listen to me, people. You could serve this to your friends at a fancy party and they would first might be like, "Ah, I'm not sure I want tomatoes in my dessert. I'm like, yes, you do. You definitely do. So that was great. The worst thing I've ever made was I did, I rigged the game where I had to, I presupposed that my Halloween thing was going to be a candy apple. And so all of my ingredients, whether it was sweet or savory, had to be orange things. For the savory, I drew salmon roe. I hate caviar. So already I was in trouble. And the sweet thing was Skittles. So I ended up coating this apple with white chocolate, rolling it in Skittles and salmon roe. And I had to eat it. And I had it was so bad. I set it on fire. It was so (laughs) awful. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Disgusting. Ah, It was. Yeah, that's. That's it's worth watching though. Yeah. I'm gonna have to watch that one for sure, for sure. Well, we've gone a little over our time, but I've had so much fun talking with you and first time talking with you and meeting you, and it's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I always love an opportunity to talk about my felines and um I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. Well, I'm grateful to have you on. Thank you again so much. This was a ball. Bye-bye. Have a great evening. Bye. Oh, that was such a fun episode. I had so much fun talking to Yardley Smith. I hope you all enjoyed it. Thanks to all my animals because uh, otherwise I wouldn't be doing catitude, right? So thanks to my kitties. 
Sammy and Jethro and uh, Charlotte, Molly and Dennis. And thanks to my yappy dog, Nikki, for, you know, being my motivation for Catitude. And special thanks to Yardley Smith for making time in her super busy schedule to come on Catitude. It was a load of fun and she's just a wonderful person. I just had so much fun having her on the show. A huge thank you to my producer, Mark Winter, for making me and my guests sound amazing. And thanks to all the hundreds of thousands of people that listen to Catitude. Thank you so much. Keep listening and remember, lose the attitude, have catitude. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.